holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. And there is none like you. And Lord, it is that name above every name that we humble ourselves before right now. Find a church that longs to meet with you. That doesn't want to just play church. Wants to come to do business with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And willingly, eagerly, promptly humbles ourselves under the authority of your word. Saying, Lord, change me. I'm not going to sit here in pride. I'm going to cast those anxieties on you because you care for me. Lord, whatever has happened this week, I pray right now we would just take this moment right here to say, Jesus, you must increase, I must decrease right now. You must increase, I must decrease over all these situations, over all these distractions. I choose right now to lay them at your feet. Father, I pray for this. I pray, God, you would grow us in our love for you and our love for each other today, God. Help us get there, Holy Spirit. We cannot do it on our own. Be with my mouth. Guard it from error, Father. Say what you desire to say to your church. In Jesus' name, church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. Matthew 22, 34 to 40. If you do not have a copy of God's word in front of you, then please put up your hand. One of our ushers are coming forward right now, and we would love to place a Bible in your lap. And if you do not have a Bible at home, please take that and keep that as a gift for you so you can continue to study God's word on your own. And those Bibles that we just handed out, today's text is located on page 483. 483, Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. And let's get a little recap, bring us up to speed on where we are right now. Last week, we began a series called Building the House, God's Heart for the Home. Building the House, God's Heart for the Home. And the purpose of this entire series, taking us right to Easter, is to answer the question of what is God's heart for the home? What are his desires for it? What does he promise to bless and give support to in it? If I could sum it up, I'd say this. What does a house being built by the Lord look like? Not just for the biological family, but the implications for us as the church family, the community of faith. And last week we looked at Psalm 127 and we saw that if the Lord is to build the home, it must be one whose dependency is on him alone to build it. And you will see that come in full measure today. We had to start with dependency because this week, from the outflow of that, we are confronted with the, no mistake, no mistake, no exaggeration on this statement. We are confronted with the single greatest commandment that God has given Wow. I don't know about you, but when I hear a statement like that, I'm tuning in. The single greatest commandment that God has given that he promises to build the home upon. Not just the biological home, but the house of the church, God's house, God's people. And in fact, this command 
is the one which every other command that God gives hangs upon. Every other command God gives depends on this right here. If I could sum that up, I'd say this. When you get this right, it's really hard to get all the other things wrong. Let me say that again. When you get this right, by the power of the Holy Spirit, it's really hard to get all the other things wrong. And it is very accurate to say this. Most conflicts that will ever happen in the home, and I would argue every conflict, happen because faithfulness to this command is missing. Most conflicts that happen in the home are a result of faithfulness to this command that is missing. And what is the command? The command is to love. God's heart for the home is a heart for our love. But the problem is this, loved ones. We live in a world that feeds us a warped or distorted idea of what true love is and what it looks like to give it into the life of another and to receive it in our own life. And you don't have to look very far to see the results of this world's idea of love. Here, here, I'll read off a few. Selfishness. Greed. Pain. Brokenness. Division. And emptiness. That's what the world's idea of love feeds the home. Why? Because the world's love, their idea of it, cannot endure. If this is, think about the question, if this is love, if this is what true love is and what it looks like to give, what hope or stability can the home ever have if you rely on it? If what this world says is really true love that will endure and sustain a relationship, what hope or stability does the home have if you rely on that? Just look around, loved ones. Look at the devastation of the family in our society today as they increasingly try to push God out of the equation. God, the very architect of the family who knows how it's supposed to work. But God has a different plan. God has a plan that will endure. And here in our text today, we see two foundational truths of what God's love is. And that we must continue to grow. And hey, here's the the thing. You never hit your love ceiling. I love God enough. I've reached it. I love you enough. I reached it. No, you never hit that ceiling. This is a constant process of growth. And we must grow in these areas by his power if he is to build the home so that it can endure. The onslaught that is against it. So to honor the authority of God's word, let's stand as we read Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. What is the command? This is the great commandment. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced, that is Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, 
You shall, notice the imperative there, that's a command. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Hear the word of the Lord, loved ones. All God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, God builds the home through love as we grow in loving him with all we are. If I could sum this statement up, I'd say this. God before me. That's totally radical, by the way, to the world. God builds the home through love as we grow in loving him with all we are. God before me. Let's get some context. Look at verses 34 to 36. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Here comes the Pharisaical huddle coming up. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? All right, right now, here's the scene. We're three days before the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Three days before. It's Holy Week, Passion Week. Okay? And Jesus is in Jerusalem teaching at the temple about the kingdom of God. And groups of religious leaders are trying to incriminate or trying to discredit him to bring him to trial to ultimately kill him. They're looking for anything they can do at this point. And there's two groups of religious leaders mentioned here. You notice that the first one in 34 is Pharisees. Who are the Pharisees? These guys were, they prided themselves in being known as the keepers of the law. We keep the law. In fact, the Greek word for Pharisee is Pharisaos, which means separatist or purist. Do we have any separatists in the room? Not me. I'm a purist. I'm separate from sin. We like to think that, don't we? But not true. And at this point, there's 6,000 of them, and they had great influence with the people, and they loved the praise of men. They sought the praise of man by observing the external rituals, like fasting and praying in public with loud words and wearing certain clothes, and they prided themselves on their works to uphold the law. And then there's a second group, the Sadducees. See there, keep reading, 34. The Sadducees. These were wealthy aristocrats, and they had political power who opposed the Pharisees. They actually didn't like each other, but they were united on one thing, their opposition against Jesus. They didn't like each other, but they're united on this point. All right, and so when the Pharisees, you see the competition coming here, because when the Pharisees saw that Jesus had silenced, the Greek word there means muzzled, muzzled the Sadducees. Here come the Pharisees. They gathered together. Okay, boys, huddle up. This is our chance. He made the Sadducees look really bad. This is our chance to look really good. Because the problem was, Jesus, is, <laughs> Jesus was just stumping the religious leaders. And so all the crowd was starting to go to him. Well, this is a threat if you're a Pharisee. You can't let this happen. And so they gather together. And in verse 35, it says they send a lawyer to test. The word test there means to maliciously trap or discredit Jesus. They're sending the big guns in. And he's going to ask them a question about the Old Testament law. Now, I don't know about you, but in hindsight, I can look back like, would you really want to be that lawyer going up against Jesus? I'm going to stump him. Man, you drew the short stick of that one. You're toast. You have no chance, man. 
Like he's giving you breath to even ask. That's amazing, right? But here's this lawyer. Now, now <clears throat> we have to understand, a lawyer was an expert in interpreting the Old Testament, the law. He's an expert. He's studied everything, every jot, every tittle. This guy knows. And it's no small thing to be an expert in this. The law that he's talking about here was the law that God gave to Moses in the wilderness at Mount Sinai of how God's people were to live in a right relationship with him and with each other. You see that in the Pentateuch, and it's composed of this. 613 commands. This guy's an expert in 613 commands. These Pharisees are not sending some junior varsity level guy. They're sending their A-lister out. 613 commands. And it also includes those 613 commands summarized in the Ten Commandments. And what's really amazing is then Jesus summarizes it even down into these two commandments. 613 commands. This guy's like, all right, I'm taking on the king of kings. <laughs> Uh-huh. Verse 36. Verse 36, the lawyer asked Jesus, he says, which of all these commandments is the greatest? Now, the Greek word for great there means, is megos, which means mega. What is the mega command? Which means, what is the one of central importance? That if you couldn't keep any other one, you would say, this needs to be kept. What's the megos command? What's the one that exceeds all others that God has given? What's the one of greatest size? Because the Pharisees would weigh the different commands, and they'd say some were light and some were heavy. Verse 37 to 38, watch Jesus' response. It says this, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Notice there, notice there. Out of all the commands, the greatest one is not keeping some external ritual, lawyer. It's not about your performance, it's about your affection. The greatest one is not keeping some external ritual, but is to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind. In Mark 12, when it talks about this in the synoptics, it adds strength. And it's not saying, okay, so you love a little bit here and a little bit here. No, no, no. He uses the entire heart, soul, mind strength to, to give a picture of every part of who we are, our complete being. All we have and all we are is to go towards loving the Lord. Now, it's easy. If you've been in church for a little while, you hear that. And you're like, yeah, I get that. I want to love God. I, let's think about what Jesus just said there. Let's drill down a little bit here. Break it down. Here's what he's saying. What's the greatest command? Here it is. Every thought you have, every one, the one you're thinking right now, every feeling you have, every desire you have, every part of your identity, that is your soul, every part of your identity, all you are. Let's keep going. Everything we do, everything, whether it's shopping at the store, Driving in the car, in traffic, in a snowstorm. Eating at a restaurant. Talking with your family. Everything we do in every second of our lives, everything upon which our heart is set, everything upon which our mind is captivated by, will be an expression of our love for God and we will love nothing else or no one else more than him. It's a bit of a tall order, wouldn't you say? 
Okay, just stop. Feel it for a moment. Feel it. Now do this. Look at your home or your personal life this past week. The conversations you had with your spouse. The conversations you had with your kids. The conversations you had with your coworkers or your neighbors or brothers and sisters in this church. Look at your past week and think of the actions that you displayed when people were around and when no one was around. Think about the thoughts. Try to, try to remember every thought that you were thinking this week. When the person cut you off in traffic. When your spouse did something and made you upset. When the temptation came. Think about it. And now I'm going to ask this. How's it going for you? How's it going for me? Was every one of those things an expression of our love for God? Would your family, would your friends say they saw and expressed love for God in you and through you? In everything you said or did. See, here's the first thing Jesus is throwing down here that we must understand. Commentator Charles Price put it this way. He said this, It is a humanly impossible demand Jesus made right there. Jesus presents the requirements of God in such a way as to expose the inevitable despair that must come to the heart of the person who would try to live this way on their own apart from depending on him to do it in them. What was just said there in a statement is this. What Jesus just said is impossible if you are not saved by him and his power is not in you. You cannot fulfill the greatest commandment that God has given and by which everything else depends on. It's impossible. We can't white knuckle this kind of love. We can't manufacture it, loved ones. We can't do it alone. Jesus Christ must increase in our lives and we have to decrease. We cannot both increase, Jesus and us. It will not work that way. Someone's got to give. Who's giving in your life? See, but here's the thing. It's one thing to say, okay, we need to grow in our love for God. Yeah, that's great, but we live in a world that distorts and twists what love looks like. So what is Jesus talking about here when he uses this stunning word in verse 37, you shall love? What's he actually talking about? What does loving God actually look like from Jesus' mouth? What's he expecting love to look like? What does it practically look like to be growing in our love for God? Because if this is the greatest commandment that God has promised to bless and build the home through, we must be clear on what growing in our love for God means and what we should be asking for and depending on him to do. 
So to find out, let's go back to verse 37. Jesus says here, you shall love. The Greek word, you'll see it on the screen, and I would very much encourage you to write this down. Greek word for love is agapeo. This is where he uses the word agapeo. And what it means is this, to take pleasure in, to long for the Lord. It is actively doing what the Lord prefers by his power and direction. Actively doing. See, there's an obedience here that needs to take place if we are to grow in our love for God. It is actively doing what the Lord prefers, his will in that situation by his power and direction. It is choosing God's choices. It's choosing God's will and obeying them through his power, whether we are feeling it towards that person or not. Love is not primarily a feeling like this world will tell us. Love, according to the architect who is love himself, says it's a choice. It's not dependent on whether you think that person deserves it what they've done to you, how they've made you feel. Because it's not based on your power, it's based on his in you, if you are his child. Agapeo. So if I'm going to grow, and we see three main areas Jesus focuses on with this. Here's what it encompasses, three main areas. Ready? If I'm going to grow in my love for the Lord, it means I'm growing in this. Number one, an affectionate reverence for him. An affectionate reverence reverence for him. What does that mean? It means I'm growing in a fear of the Lord. I'm growing in a fear of the Lord, which is a deeper love for, a deeper honor towards, a deeper desire for, and hunger for the Lord. Are you growing in a fear of the Lord, loved ones? This is the very first thing Jesus is speaking of here. If you're going to grow in your love for the Lord, you must be growing in affectionate reverence before him. Let's keep diving in here. It is a longing for his presence. A longing for his holiness in your life, in your home, in your workplace. It's a longing for his power to be shown in and through you. It's a longing for his grace. It's a longing for his purity in and through your life. It means this. You're not approaching God flippantly. How many of us in this room right now approaching God flippantly? I can dabble with sin. I'm flaunting my sin in front of God. And I don't care. You sure you don't care? It's not approaching him flippantly and we grow in loving what he loves, in valuing what he values and increasingly modeling his character and image to those around me. My wife, my husband, our children, the in-laws. Praise the Lord. (laughs) The co-workers, the classmates, increasingly growing in this. Let me ask you this question. What does your heart, what does your home show you're growing in reverence for? Look around your home. My wife and I will often take a, what's what we call a state of the union where we'll sit down and we'll pray through and we'll look through. What entertainment is on our shelves? Does it show there's a growing reverence for God? 
or are we reverencing the world? A reverence for the world, a reverence for, would you, if you look at your life, are you growing in reverence for yourself? I'm the man or woman. It's about my status. It's about my image. It's about my reputation. It's about my agenda. Forget God. I'm just flippantly, I'll play the Jesus card so I get in with the church crowd, but really, you know what? It's about me. I'm the part of reverence that I love the most. How about this? We're reverence for sin. The ongoing, unchecked, letting sin go in your life and making excuses for it. Here's a, here's a common one I hear a lot. Well, it's just convenient for us to live together. Really? Have you asked the Lord what he thinks about that? He's pretty clear. It's just more convenient if I engage in this sin. I'll get to God later. Really? Be very careful, loved ones, with your flippancy before the King of Kings. He is not pleased with it. No matter how we try to spin it. Who does our heart, who does our home show we live in reverence for? If we're going to grow in our love for God, it starts with reverence for God. It has to. Will we, will we do what he says to value? Will we honor what he says to honor purity and holiness and righteousness? Will we uphold that in our home and in our lives? That's how we grow in the love for the Lord. That's what God promises to build a home through. God will not bless our sin. Yeah, I understand it's more convenient. Sure, I'll bless your religion. No, he loves you and I too much for that. Because here's the truth. You and I, we were born to worship. We were made to worship, and we will reverence something or someone. The question is, what's that for you? Finances? Entertainment? Job? Hey, loved ones, in love I just say this, it's time to clean the heart and it's time to clean the house. What sin is in the camp? That is hindering God's blessing on your home. Don't shun it. Go to him with it. He loves you. Because here's the truth I was reminded of this week, and you'll see it on the screen. If you give your home to the world, don't be surprised when it becomes like it. If you give your home to the world, do not be surprised when it looks like it. One of my seminary profs at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, his name's Albert Moeller, he said this to me once. He said, you know what? He says, if you give your kids to Pharaoh, don't be surprised when they become Egyptians. What are you reverencing? Where is your affection towards There's no refuge in that stuff, loved ones. There's no refuge here. That's why Proverbs 14.26 makes it so clear. You'll see it on the screen. It says, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. Not in the world, but in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. And his children will have a refuge. There's no refuge in the world. Children, the next generation, as we talked about last week, they have their refuge in God alone. Are we reverencing him to show them that? 
See, our homes are to be places where we grow and train in holiness and righteousness and purity and Christ-centered character. It starts with reverence. What are we reverencing in the home? Secondly, to grow in my love for the Lord means I'm growing in affectionate reverence, but also this, prompt obedience. This is what reverence leads us to. Prompt obedience, not opposition. Obedience to God, not opposition to God. And what, what, he's, what Jesus is talking about here when he says love, he's talking about this prompt, urgent obedience to the word of God as it exposes our hearts and shows us the areas of our lives where we are walking in sin. Revelation. I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing in your heart right now, but revelation always has to lead us to responsibility if we are going to grow in our love for the Lord. We have a responsibility now when that sin is exposed to bring it before him and ask him to help us get it right. Not delaying it. Not putting it off as it exposes it hurts. God says that we will grow in loving him by loving his word. By loving his word and not delaying to be in it and not delaying to obey it in his power. Because too many times, loved ones, we have this mentality of, I'll get around to it tomorrow. Yeah, I'm just not feeling this moment. I just had to give in to that. So I'll just start tomorrow. And to, Hey, loved one, here's the thing. Today, today was yesterday's tomorrow. Have you done anything about it? Delayed obedience, we must understand, loved ones, delayed obedience is nothing more than disobedience. God's word exposes the heart and we sit in it. And we just, well, get around to it later. Or we take it lackluster. We're not urgent and prompt in our obedience. But here's what we must remember. Who we love is always shown through how we live. Let's say it again. Who we love is always shown through how we live. We can pay all the lip service we want to Jesus. Yeah, I love Jesus. I love God. But I'm just flaunting ongoing sin. Really? Are you sure you love him? Are you sure about that? Just leaving that unchecked, not caring, not repenting? See, we can pay all the lip service we want, but at the end of the day, it always comes down to this. How are you living? How are you living shows who you are loving. Every day. Every time. And how do you know this? You say, well, that's a big word, Pastor Ray. How do you, you say that? I didn't say that. John 14, 23, out of the words of our king said that. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Who you love is shown through how you live. He will keep my word, and look at this, and my father will love him, and we will come and make, oh, what's that? Make our home with him. God will build the home through love. A home that is walking in increasing prompt obedience to God is a home that will endure. And you know what? The way God designed this to be, the more we love God, the more we desire to obey God. And the more we obey God, the more we grow in love for God. 
That's the way he designed it. And he's the architect. That's the way it's supposed to work. So question, where are you delaying your obedience to Christ? Maybe some of you in this room right now are living in sexual sin and making excuses for it. Will you continue to do that? You will not grow in your love for the Lord as long as that is present in your life. Are we delaying our obedience with our finances and how God tells us to steward them for his glory or is the bank account showing I'm reverencing my desire for entertainment and self and stuff and opportunity? What does it show? Maybe we're delaying our obedience. We're not discipling our children. Yeah, I know I should be doing family deals, but my work's so busy all the time. You will always have time for the things you make time for. How about this? Idolizing our work. Men, men, are we shepherding our wives and kids? Leading them in the word of God, not leading them to the hockey game before that. Praying with them, interceding for them, opening God's word with them. Are we allowing sin to endure that must be dealt with? Anger, impatience, no one's making you angry, you're choosing to be that. What's the next step we need to take right now? Loved ones, I will remind you of this. On the other side of repentance, there is never condemnation. There is only comfort. But you will not know the comfort of the Lord without repentance before the Lord. You will be miserable in your sin, as will your home. If we're going to grow in our love for the Lord, those are the first two things Jesus says. We need to be growing in affectionate reverence, and secondly, in prompt obedience, not opposition. And lastly and thirdly is this. We must be growing in constant gratitude towards him and not greed. We must be growing in constant gratitude towards him and not greed. Now, what's gratitude? Well, I love uh, the book, by the way, Finally Free by biblical counselor Heath Lambert. I highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. He defines gratitude this way. You'll see it on the screen. Gratitude is the attitude of the heart that is thankful for anything and everything the Lord gives. Think about that. Gratitude is the attitude of the heart that is thankful for anything and everything the Lord gives. Because it's a heart that recognizes we don't deserve anything but hell. A heart that is growing in love for the Lord is a heart that is growing in gratitude to the Lord for what he's given. It is a heart that is growing in satisfaction in the Lord himself. See, here's why gratitude is such a powerful weapon. Because gratitude is the opposite of greed. Greed always works to make, you'll see this on the screen, greed always works to make you discontent. Did you ever notice that? When you become greedy, it makes you discontent with what you have. 
That's what greed does. Gratitude works to make you content through thankfulness for what you have. Gratitude is the opposite of greed. Greed will always want our way. Did you ever notice that? That's, a, that's textbook greed. I want my way in this argument. I want my way with how I spend my money. I want my way in how I live my life. I don't want to go God's way. It's just too much. It's way easier just to do this. It's greed. It will always want our way and it will never lead to gratitude. Greed never takes us to gratitude, which means greed never takes us to growing in a love for the Lord. It only grows us in a love for self as we seek satisfaction in things apart from God. And this struck me like a brick this week to the side of the face. What you will see on this screen, what you seek satisfaction in is ultimately what you are trying to build your home upon. What you and I seek satisfaction in is ultimately what we are trying to build our home upon. If we're seeking our satisfaction in pornography, that's what we're trying to build our home on because I have to go to that. Really? If I'm seeking satisfaction in finances, I'm going to work my tail off and sacrifice my family and sacrifice these things and my relationship, what God has already given me because I want to have it all. Really? I want to have it all. I will not be content with where God has me until I have a spouse. Until I have children. Until, until, until. Greed. Those are good things to want. But the desire for them, the lack of gratitude that results from that, will not grow you in your love for the Lord and doing what he desires for you. And I just wonder, Sammy, this week, how much damage is done? How many of the conflicts right now in our homes are generated by our greed in trying to get what we want? Instead of having a heart of gratitude and being thankful for what we have. Instead of living with an increasing satisfaction in Christ, we attempt to find satisfaction through our greed. But here, 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 here's some ways this plays out. Maybe this can relate. By winning the next argument with my spouse, instead of humbling myself to listen, I raise my voice, get my way. Maybe it's not wanting to invest in my children because I want me time. Where'd me time come from anyway? Anyone know? Oh, we do. It's called the self. Maybe it's criticizing one another or the silent treatment at home. It's greed. Well, when he does changes or she changes, then I'll do. Really? Really? That's greed, loved ones. Where's the gratitude? The fact that God in his graciousness gave you a spouse. God in his kindness and mercy gave you kids. He gave you coworkers. He gave you brothers and sisters in Christ. He's given you so much, but your greed and discontent has blinded you to it all. Listen, James 4, 1 to 2 says this so clearly. You'll see it on the screen. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions, what is the word for passions there? Self-desired interests. Greed. 
Your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. This is the devastating impact of unrestrained hostility in the home. The question is this, how about you? How about me? I'm right here with you, loved ones. I, I don't think there's been a message... I don't know, I was telling my wife this week that I felt more inadequate to preach in my life. How about you? What about me? Are we growing in gratitude? Are we growing in love for the Lord? First Thessalonians, you say, what's your will in that argument? What's your will in the, well, God, what's your will in the conflict? Here it is, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. But if you only knew my spouse, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks for them. Give thanks that I chose out of my mercy to give you them. But if you only knew my coworkers, give thanks for them. My classmates, this is the will of God for you. And I just wonder how different would our homes, how different would our relationships, how different would our church look if instead of pounding our wives and kids and each other with words of greed. We would love them with words of grace. How different would the home look? Stop pounding and murdering each other with words of greed and shower them with words of grace flowing from our gratitude to the Lord for their very lives. In the conflict, in the temptation, right there. This is the love that the world cannot give and does not understand. Because this is the love that is empowered by the gospel of Jesus Christ that only comes through him. This world will say, make your statement, win your argument. And when you're not feeling like it, don't worry about showing it. God says, I came, I sent my son to die on that cross for you so that in that moment... You have the power. You have the power because of my power in you to do what is right and to choose to love as I have chosen you and sent my son when you were my enemy. And that person in your home, that person in your classroom deserves your love way more then you or I deserved it from Jesus Christ. Are we growing in our gratitude for the Lord? Where do you need to repent? Loved ones, maybe this afternoon, you're going to have some tough conversations. Go there. Go there. There's God's comfort on the other side of that. Where do you need to repent to those people before the Lord and ask God for his help because I love this Puritan Thomas Vincent put it this way we can't do this alone you're starting to see how impossible this is how much we need Jesus Christ look at what he says if you would have much love to Christ in your hearts you must be often at the throne of grace upon your knees and there humbly acknowledge if not the lack yet the weakness of your love to Christ bewail that means repent of your sins which dampen your affection and earnestly request that he would work your hearts into a strong love 
say, God, I want to lash out right now. I'm tempted to say things that Proverbs says my words are going to be a sword thrust into the heart of my kids or into the heart of this coworker, in the heart of my spouse. Lord, I just, I ask for your help right now and he will give it. He will give it. He's like, yes, this is what I promised to bless because this is what I'm asking of you. He will give it in that moment, loved ones. He, the, this is why the greatest prayer the greatest prayer, if you're not praying for your home right now, just start with this. The greatest prayer the home can ever pray is this. Lord, help us to love you more. Couples, just start there. You don't have to exegete Romans. Just there. Lord, today, help us to love you more than we ever have. Because that's where everything else will flow out of. That's where sacrifice flows out of mercy, kindness, grace in the face of hostility. God builds the home through love as we grow in loving him with all we are, God before me. And lastly today is this, as we grow in our love for the Lord, we will see God build the home through love as we grow in loving others as ourselves, you before me. Look at verses 39 to 40. Jesus goes on to say, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. See, Jesus then gives the Pharisee the second command, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, again, notice the context of the word love. It's the same Greek word, agapeo, but now it's not talking about our love for God. It's talking about our horizontal love towards each other. So it varies a little bit. So here's the meaning. You'll see it on the screen. It means to take pleasure in actively doing what the Lord prefers in the life of another under God's power and direction in your life. Taking pleasure, not just, oh, I have to serve you. No, you get to serve them. You get to love them. Take pleasure in actively doing what the Lord prefers in the life of another under his power and direction. It's seeing others as God sees them. And saying in our words and in our thoughts and in our actions, you before me. And what's the word for neighbor there? What's he talking about? Like my, my guy next door? Here it is. The Greek word means this. Any other person, irrespective of race, age, religion, or sex, with whom we live or have a chance to meet. That's our neighbor. Any other person, irrespective of age, race, religion, sex, with whom we live or have a chance to meet. Let's be clear here. Let's be clear. You could say, oh man, like I can't do anything. This is crazy. Jesus is not saying that we should be striving to love ourselves more. Let's just be really clear about that. He's not saying love others as you love yourself. Now a common mentality of the world is, well, you love yourself more, then you'll be able to love others. No, Jesus is assuming we're doing the whole loving self just fine. It's not like I want to love myself more today, God, then I'll love my kids more. That's not going to work. He's not saying that. It means we are to measure our love for others by what we would wish for ourselves. The care we wish someone would give to us, we lovingly give to them. The grace that we wish someone would show to us, we lovingly show it to them. The humility, the service, the patience, the gentleness. We are 
to measure our love for others by what we would wish for ourselves and we have a responsibility to seek the greatest good of our neighbors. And here it is again, regardless if we feel like they deserve it or not, the greatest good for them. See, love is not primarily about a feeling, it is a choice. It's saying, in this moment, Jesus, I wanna lash out. I wanna be impatient. I wanna be angry. But Jesus, you are greater. And he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. And I don't have to choose to lash out. I don't have to. I don't have to. I want to choose you. Please give me the strength to do what is right, right now. You before me. And then in verse 40, Jesus finishes by saying that all the other commands of the law depend, that is, hang upon these two things. And you can see why now. And if we are to be faithful in anything that God says he will build the home through, it has to come through these two commands increasingly being fulfilled. Yet, don't want to leave you in despair. They are impossible to do on our own strength. We have no hope of doing this on our own without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? Because we need a savior and you'll see this on the screen. Be encouraged. Parents, coworkers, classmates, kids, God will not command from you what he's not first willing to do in you. God will not command from you what he's not first willing to do in you. God has not left us on our own, loved ones. He saw us in our sin, and in the greatest act of love of all time, he sent his only son Jesus Christ to die for us and make his power available to all who've repented of their sin and confessed him as their Lord and Savior. And Jesus Christ did the impossible to fulfill these commands, loving God with all he was and loving others as he loved himself perfectly. How do you know this? Matthew five seventeen, last verse of the day. Jesus says, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. These things still stand. I have not come to abolish them, but I came to fulfill them. He's not sitting. I don't know what your situation is right now that you're going home to, but I will guarantee you this. Jesus is not sitting in heaven right now being like, shoot, I didn't see that coming. I didn't know that conflict was going to happen. I didn't know that impatience. Oh, shoot. I didn't know about that. Uh-uh. He's like, I knew that was coming. I'm sovereign over that. But will you turn to me and trust me in it? Loved ones, it is not about our perfection, but about our perseverance in his power. He will build the house through love. The question is, will you trust him and surrender to him? or try to do it your way. 